evening and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight we've got Dave Hilda Pryor. Paul Thorpe returns. Steve Rutter joins us again. Rick Hyatt's here. And I should be around as well. So settle down, pour yourself a cup of tea, and let's listen to some great football banter. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Yes, it's Monday again, team. Um, myself, Dave Pryor, here again with you for another week. And my guests this week are as follows. And the first voice that you've heard is, of course, Mr. Aidy Hopper. How you doing, Aid? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Sad weekend, mate. A sad weekend. Yeah, of course. Of course, we will. We will come to that on the agenda. Mr. Steve <coughs> Rutter's here. How are you doing, Steve? I am fantastic today, thank you. Oh, excellent, excellent. That's because you picked up on his medals on the wall, I expect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve has just been talking through his uh, medal collection, but uh, we'll leave that there, Steve. We'll yeah, leave that it's, there. listen, it's amazing what you can get on eBay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talking of medals on eBay, Rick Hyatt's here. How you doing, Rick? I'm I'm very well, but sadly not as fantastic as Steve. You're in the middle, then. You're in the middle of the three Fair guests that we've got so far. Yeah. Well, we are hoping to be joined by uh, Mr. Paul Thorpe as well, who was here in all his glory just now. Uh, but now we've decided to get the record recording underway. Uh, his microphone isn't working, so hopefully... We'll be joined by him a little bit later on. Um, so, as Aidy's just alluded to then, before we talk about Yeovil Town to start with, uh, I think it's only one place to start, and that was the sad news um, with the passing um, of Sir Bobby Charlton over the weekend. Um, there's not really much else there is to say that hasn't already been said over the last 48 hours or so. A giant of the game, a giant of a man, absolute legend of both Manchester United and of England. Um, Aid, I think it's probably best to, to start with you if you're, if you're happy to, because um, you would have seen, you know, the very best of, of Bobby Charlton. Just for for people of my era, what what, what was he like as a footballer? Well, I think uh, the one thing that a lot of people haven't picked up on that somebody did in one of the papers I read, that, you know, that his shot was tremendous. He had a tremendous shot on him, but the point they were making was that, of course, the balls in those days, going back, well, 1966 and, and beyond, you know, before that, were, you know, big, thick, heavy leather ones that were getting wet and stuff, which sort of really it made the, the power of his shots even even that much more staggering, really. And, you know, he, he was just, just something else. He would, he would you know, he, he, he just shoot on sight was his policy and, and the number of goals he got was just phenomenal. And I was lucky enough to meet him only very briefly. I went up to um, Old Trafford with Darren Way when Darren had to go up about one of the game that he had back along. I don't know if you can remember it when part of his testimonial. And we went into the shop and came out of the shop and who should be coming into the shop but Sir Bobby Charlton. And we, we stopped and had a quick sort of word with him. But um, he was very pleasant, very, very, he, he strikes me as being a very shy sort of man, really, um, from, from our little um sort of meeting with him but um but he was always happy to speak to people and you know I'll, I'll always remember him i'll always remember those two goals in the european uh, cup final in 68 against benfica um he was just phenomenal there's no other word to describe him he was just an amazing man and you know obviously a very very nice guy as well so it's extra sad but um i guess we've all got to go sometime yeah, Steve. Just touching on what A A said there. I mean, it's quite the 
quite the life he's led. I mean, you only really need to look back at, obviously, what happened with the Munich air disaster and the fact that he was able to sort of um, carry on and carry on to such a high high level after such a tragedy just goes to show um, what kind of a man he was. Yeah, I mean, I, a bit like Adi, I met him very briefly once um, at St George's Park when they were doing the, the final finishes and he came up with his wife and we did a guided tour. And he, first of all, he was a really down-to-earth, as Adi said, almost like a shy persona. Um no bravado about him whatsoever. Um, and I was over in the Republic of Ireland over the weekend and every single front page of every newspaper were pictures of Bobby Charlton, um, you know, saying he'll be reunited with Big Jack. So he wasn't just an English icon. I think he was, a, he was like a Pele. He was an icon of world football and was revered all over the world. Um, and I'm sure that's not just because of his playing ability. I'm sure that's because of the way he came across as a person as well. Not many people, Rick, can say that they're uh, they're a World Cup winner either, <laughs> and um, will always be iconic from that perspective as well. Particularly with the England, obviously with the England national team. You, you say that there are only two Englishmen that have won the World Cup and the European Cup, and there are Nobby Styles, of course, the other one, um, and there are only nine players in the history of world football that have won the European Cup the World Cup and the Ballon d'Or. And the word legend is is chucked about a bit readily, but this is a man who uh, was dragged from uh, a wrecked aeroplane, saw seven of his, of his friends die and carried that guilt of the fact that he survived around with him for the rest of his life. He, he, the stuff I've listened to today, he, he noticeably, visibly changed after Munich because of um, the effect it had on him and the guilt that he felt. Um, it's, it's funny, there have been so many things on about Sir Bobby this week, and there's just one bit that really got to me. It's, it's when he got um, Lifetime Achievement Award at Sports Personality of the Year. And if you see the clip, you've got the whole stage is filled with all these the people that Bobby have been playing with and, and interacted with in his life. And he gets the award from his brother, Jack. And Jack just says, he's the best player in the world. And he's my brother. He's just, whoa, that, that got to, that got to me. I never met the man, but I did see him in a car park at Old Trafford. But an absolute, an absolute legend who, transcends the game was it they, they used to say in the in the 60s and 70s that you, there wasn't a place in the world you couldn't go to you go to the deepest jungles in africa and if they only knew two words of english they were bobby charlton and i think that says everything about the man an absolute absolute legend and we now live in a world without bobby charlton and it's a it's a poor world for that that point you made there rick i Back in 69, I think, I went on holiday to Tunisia and there was little kids, Tunisian kids coming up to him and as soon as they knew we were English, the first thing they were saying was, Bobby Charlton, Bobby Charlton, it's amazing, amazing. But he was one of those, he was on the field, just born to be a footballer. Yeah. The grace of them and the power and whatever, but then off the field as well to be, the word gentleman, again, doesn't do him, doesn't do him, credit he was everything that everybody should aspire to be really yeah. and you'd be sadly missed yeah you're Corpy, right is your microphone working let's hope so it is yes yes it is we can hear you so paul thorpe has now joined us i'm sure you obviously have just been listening to what the guys have been saying and yeah. um, i'm sure you only echo those comments so far no absolutely i mean um you know there's not many people who are uh you know, uh, iconic figures in world football, and he's certainly one of them. You know, he's he's global. Um, he was graceful and just glided over the surfaces. Remember what the surfaces were like back in those days. One just as, you know, these uh, carpets that they wear now, they was like all mud, and you know, and it's not easy to um, have the pace that he had and to go past people as 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 effortlessly as he did. 
Um, and to, like you say, to have the pace of shot that he that he had was just uh, incredible. And I, I, I constantly, even though I'm a good old Liverpool fan, I'm a fan of English football, and uh, I constantly go back over his stuff on YouTube. And it's something that every youngster should should look at, I think. And um, and not just that, he's he's been an ambassador not just for United, but also for English football um, on a world world stage. Um, but it's not just that as well. It's, it's you know we talk about role models in modern day football. I mean, what a role model he and his family were. Um, you know, you just can't say anything bad about the guy and about the stature that he um, that he showed and uh, just the way he was. You know, as, as everybody has said, you know, just humble and just a pleasure to be around. And. Um- Steve, I, I noticed that um, he did have a stab at um, the managerial game, but pro- I mean, see, a, a bit before my time, so I can't really comment on it. But just looking at the stats, looks like something that maybe just wasn't for him or didn't work out for whatever reason. I see that he had a couple of years, if this is correct, at, at Preston and then a little sure. temporary spell yeah. in charge of Wigan in the early 80s. Was that just something that wasn't wasn't quite right for him? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I think if you look at the, the 66 World Cup winning side, quite a lot of them had to go at being managers and, and not many of them you know, enjoyed really successful periods. So there's not a direct transfer from being a player to, to being a manager. Um, there's a particular type of personality, I think, in management that you need. And we've already said, you know, very quiet, very unassuming. Um doesn't really seem to want to project himself other than on a football field. So he's probably not got quite the right characteristics for it. But um, I'm sure that, you know, in the time at Old Trafford, he's there behind the scenes. And I'm sure many managers picked his brains and, and used his footballing nails to help him. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a very peculiar job being a, being a first-team coach. Um, and you do need a very particular skill set for it, and and you know for him it just wasn't to be. Whereas for Jack, you know Jack went to Ireland and he's a he's a legend, you know through his managerial experiences with the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, not only that, Aid. I don't think we've we've actually had an opportunity to speak about it on the pod yet. But obviously, it's it's more sad news for Manchester United really because um, Sir Alex lost his his wife not that long ago as well didn't he so uh, more more sad news really yeah it must have been a, a pretty difficult time for, for Sir Alex really to lose his wife and then two weeks later to lose Bobby Charlton it's uh, yeah it doesn't bear thinking about really it must be awful for him just the last point um, with you Rick like Thorpe's just touched on it wasn't the fact that it was just the career and okay it might not have worked out in the managerial game but as an ambassador he was very much at the forefront of the modern day Manchester United up until a couple of years ago well he was the the face of the face of the club I mean he wasn't necessarily my favorite player that's ever played for United but I do think that it was probably There's a lot the, to choose from to be fair but I do think he was he was probably the greatest player that United ever had when everything's everything's taken into consideration and if there's anything positive to come out of his passing is maybe the YouTube generation will go and dig those clips out and you'll you'll see what a player he was and what a player we had and something to be very, very proud of as a country. And I think also, if you think back, Rick, um, when he was um, on the board of directors with David Gill and Alex Ferguson, I mean, those three did an awful lot guiding United to the success that Fergie brought them. And also the fact that when the pressure was on Fergie, he was a staunch ally yeah. in the boardroom that kept... I mean, obviously, there's at least two faces on here that aren't very happy about that, but he stayed on as United's manager and uh, had the success that, that he did. And that was partly through the backing that he got he got from Sir Bobby. Hmm. It's just as a football fan, you've got to sort of say, you've got to take yeah. your hat off to him. And, you know, yeah, yeah, listen, we like the banter and we like the support our teams, but... You cannot take it away from from what they had through Ferguson, and um, you know, and Charlton Char- behind the scenes would have been a massive part of that. Like, and um, the way that the structure of the club was 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 run at that period of time um, has to be you have to take your hat off to them, you know. And uh, I expect they wish they had it uh, had it back now. Certainly, 
Um, sometimes the dross you see on the pitch nowadays from such a big club is, you know, I've said it before, is is not is not acceptable, you know, for for the level they should be at. And um, I certainly think if you had those people, you know, healthy um, back in the t- time, even in modern day football now, they'd have been a far more successful club than they are at the moment. <coughs> it's, it's changed though, Paul, isn't it? It's like when when he was in his pomp. And in the years afterwards, through the Alex Ferguson years, it was about football. Yeah. And the football was paramount. And it was it would be the same with any of the big teams, Liverpool, Tottenham in the day, you know, Dave Mackay and that. It's now about the business side of it. And and the football yeah. people are getting marginalised more and more. And the, and the saddest thing of all is there are less and less people like Bobby Charlton around to represent what I call, inverted commas, the real values of football. Mm. Now it's all about spin and packaging and making money. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's probably no probably no coincidence if you look at what happened after two thousand and five. Was it when the Glazers took over? They had a short period of success until their impact really started impacting the yeah. club and the direction of the club. And since then, it's been a disaster. Yeah. And prior to that, it was like eight titles in eleven years or something. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for having proper football people like Bobby Charlton involved on the boards of football clubs, making decisions about what that club's going to do. There's another yeah. thing I just remembered about. Bobby is uh, Johan Cruyff, who uh, a lot of people have attributed Barcelona's success to. Obviously, a great manager in himself. Only picked one English player in his all-time football eleven, and that was Sir Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful treatment. Uh, um, testaments, gentlemen. Really, really good to hear um, your thoughts and stories on what was a sad story. Unfortunately this weekend um looking ahead to to yeovil town then they did get a last minute dramatic win at the weekend 2-1 over worthing to uh extend their lead now at, at the top of the table because uh teams around them drop points taunton and bath both dropping points so yeovil now three points clear at the top of the table, eight wins in a row as well across all competitions. Nine if you include the Somerset Premier Cup. But for the sake of this conversation, yeah, let's include it. Nine, nine in a row, the Oval Town. Um, I was there enjoying a beverage or four in the uh, in the away end. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, um, I thought it was pretty as routine as it came until they tried to yeovil it up as you if you like right at the very end it's like yeovil taking the lead through matty worthington and it was the kind of goal Dorothy, I'll, I'll come to you in a second but it was the kind of goal that you talk about in commentary that you want to see more of worthington it was a shot that was spilled um and who was there first of all running in uh, to that six yard box it was matty worthington to get the tap in and to put yeovil one nil up and then that yeovil didn't really look like that they were going to concede and then it was a penalty with five minutes to go I think it was and I, I think it was a pen um, it was a it was a cross into the box and it was one of those where the defender jumped with the attacker and I think he did just put his arm across and caught him sort of in the neck I think it was anywhere else in the, on the pitch it would probably have been given as a free kick so I personally didn't have any complaints really um, with that decision but from where we were standing, Mark Cooper was only a few yards in front of us in his technical area, and he was saying, we can score, we can win this, we can still win this, and he was proved right with a wonderful delivery from Maguire Drew right at the end. Morgan Williams, who's been one of the star men so far um, for Yeovil this season, getting his head on it, and um, Yeovil getting a really, really credible 2-1 win against a Worthing team who are um, no slouches, particularly at their own ground. It gets the monkey off the back as well, and Yeovil managing to to win on a pitch, a 3D pitch for the first time this season. Um, it's just all positive, Paul thought, really. Yeah, no, you've got to say, um, you know, slowly um, they've been grinding out the results and uh, the performances have, have been getting better. You know, with the confidence that, you know, we I say so many times that... Um, the ball seems to move around quicker. That the players are sharper. They're hungrier because of that. Those successes, and um, you know, when you get knockbacks, it's up to the managerial team and the captains on the pitch to keep driving the team forward, and you know, and and um, and and to keep trying to win the game. And uh, 
you know, I can't only take my hat off to the guys because it's, it's ultimately the players that have to do it on the park and they found a way of grinding out that result uh, by one, tremendous delivery and two, aggression to, to, to win the ball and it's you know when when the bad times were with Yeovil, that was something that was sixteen lacking, the lacking of attacking the ball in the box, the lack of getting midfielders into those areas to score goals, you know, and we're at the moment um, try getting some success in those areas, and um, you know I can only say long may it continue, um, you know it's it's been the, the games at home have been better, um, the 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 wins have been getting the crowds larger and that's exactly what the management team but also the owners as want and um, you know since the start of the season um, we I can only compliment the ownership and, uh, and now we're seeing the, seeing the, 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 um, the games progress I can only compliment the management team at the moment I say long may it continue Dave did you notice any difference in the style they were playing because of the uh plastic pitch um not not really aid no but, but what i would say though is that the games that yeovil have have lost this season on on the 3d pitches i don't think it's been a case if they've they've played badly at all they've just been been undone to some bad defending or been a little bit unlucky i think the opening game was um was unfortunate for will Buse because i think his clearance was charged down from the striker and then they won one nil and then there was the um, haven't a Waterlooville game, which was just one of those chaotic games, the 4-3, um, that was just a case of every time someone scored, it seemed to go in. And I think it was just a case of they were just, they're just riding a crest of a wave at the moment and the momentum took them through. And that was clear with pretty much the positivity still in 90 minutes, eh, to be honest, that we could still hear the coaching staff saying, we can still win this. And I don't think it was an arrogance from Cooper and his coaching staff. I think it was just a um, a belief of, of where Yeovil are at the moment. And you just wonder with the, obviously, the big one coming up on Tuesday that you can watch on, th- uh, you can listen, Ethan, on Free Valleys Radio with myself and Paul Thorpe. But, um, you know, not getting too ahead, of course, but get a big win in the derby as well. And suddenly... Suddenly, Yeovil are rolling on. It, um, it's a well, last Steve on this one, but I certainly feel that um, uh, the more you play on a surface like that, a new surface, um, then the more you, you start adapting and understanding it more. And I think that that's uh, as time goes on. I think Steve will agree, and we'll ask him in a minute. But uh, certainly, that they'll be able to adapt and understand it, and and their their passes will be instead of being into areas there'll be more defeat you know and that's where hopefully they their, their performances will be better I think Steve yeah I mean it was that three games you're saying they've already played on artificial pitches this year yeah I think it is yeah. three yeah you know and it, it is different because the feel's different isn't it Paul you know that you train on yeah. grass all week mm. and then the impact on your joints and everything's different straight away yeah um, and even the artificial pitches aren't the same. One's a 4G, one's a 5G, one's a 3G. And, and they've all got slightly different makeup. But I watched the highlights of the game. And like you say, Hilda, they never really looked under any great pressure. And being a centre-back, you know, in, in our day, Thorpe and me, if we'd gone up for a challenge like that and the referee had given a penalty, you know, we'd have all been aghast. He did lead slightly with his arm, but obviously there wasn't any real great threat to goal scoring, so it wasn't like... Yeah, I've, I've, only seen, I've only seen it the once on first glance, but... Yeah, yeah it's, I, but, I, you know, but it's, it's one of those, if you, get it, if you get it, you say it's a penalty, and if, you, you know, if it's against you, you say it's not. Yeah. But then they go up the other end, and to be fair, from what I saw of it, every time they put the ball near the penalty box, it looked like they could score a goal. So I think they were right to say, look, we can score here because they just needed one decent ball into the box and they knew they'd get a chance. And he's put a great ball in. And if you look, if you watch the marking, I mean, the fellow's the wrong side of Morgan Williams before the ball's delivered and he's the wrong side of him when he heads it in. Um, so I think they just knew that if they got it in the box with quality, they'd get at least one more chance. And that's what they did. So fair play. And like we said the other week, you know, they build some momentum and that's what you need. And then they've got probably the best squad in the league so it's then about how you manage your team to keep that hunger and keep that drive going week after week after week. But they're in a very good place at the moment. It's, it's also that encouragement to 
keep putting that ball on the penalty spot because you know it, it just been very lacking in, in years past like you know where we've been struggling and just the ball's not being put in and I used to go back to what Alan Shearer said when he had a lean spell at Newcastle when the lads don't put the ball in the box I ain't going to score simple as that and then yeah. they start putting the ball in the box and he starts scoring yeah. so he's not it's well, not um, no if you look you know, at if you look at all the stats of any of the leagues in the world 80 85 Eighty-six percent of all goals are scored within the the depth of the penalty box and the width of the six-yard box. Yeah, you know. So if you don't get the ball in the box, you don't score goals. Yeah, as simple as that. So you're right. People get the ball in the box, get players in the box, and you have got a chance of scoring goals. Hundred percent. Rick, I'll throw the next one over to you because obviously, with it being the um, the three D pitch, um, Josh Staunton obviously um, wasn't involved. But I do have a. A question for the group, but I'll start with you, Rick. And we know how much quality <laughs> um, Josh Staunton has. Um, of course, he's the club captain. I don't know if there's any doubt about his qualities whatsoever, but we all know, obviously, the issues now that he's having with his knee. And where I'm going with this is that Williams and Wannell look like a pretty formidable centre-back pairing. And I might even go as far as saying... <coughs> It's probably our first choice centre-back partnership now, if you take the romance of Josh Staunton out of it. I mean, like I say, there's nothing against Josh at all whatsoever. He's been amazing for this club and will continue to be amazing, I'm sure. But if you actually look at the statistics and how they've been as a partnership and since they've been playing as a pair, I mean, I guess it's no surprise, really, that based on their performances so far, Yeovil's trajectory of wins has just gone up and up and up. Not sure that I would... uh ever expect you to, to use the words romance and Josh Staunton in the same sentence, but well done. <laughs> it's, uh, Josh had the missed games at the start of the season, didn't he? Because they were 3G pitches and he couldn't play on them. And Williams and Wano have come in and they formed, they've taken their opportunity and they formed it and formed a really good good partnership. So as much as we all love Josh, he's he's next in line. He's got, he's got to wait his turn, take his opportunity when it comes. And um, yeah, that, that's that's all he can do. But that, it's just a sign of um, Steve said that Yeovil are in a good place. Yes, they are top of the league. That's a very good place to be. If you're going to be anywhere, that's where you want to be. And it's the belief in the club at the moment, and the fact that your club captain, the bloke that sweated blood for the team last year and did more than anybody to try and keep them up, can't get in the side. Just have to take that as a positive and a reflection on where and where the um, team are right now. And they just had that belief on Saturday. I don't think, I think Cooper was right. We can score another. And they, the team just believed that. And now they're going out and they're looking like they're expecting to win. And that's such a pleasure to see, given what we've all sat through for the last two, three years, maybe even longer than that, you know. Let's just enjoy it. I think it's important to, to understand, having spoken to Josh as well, I think that he was almost part of the decision to actually get more, a bit more That's pace. That's very Josh, uh, isn't it? That is yeah, so it, is very, it is very Josh. And I think he was really part of saying, you know, we need more pace to cover Waddle because Waddle's very aggressive and he, he wants to sort of like go hunt and close down early. So that does leave a few gaps in behind and you have to have that, that pace. And, and Morgan being in there actually does that. You know, and uh, he's been first. We, we know that Morgan Williams is very versatile at, at right back, you know, midfield, and you know, and also centre half. He's also played left back as well, like so. You know, it, it, it's um, it's a selfless act of, of, of saying, look, you know, maybe we'll be better if, but it also means that he's uh, now looking, you know, um, like splinter ants on on the sidelines, and um, and but but being a big part, but also what a fantastic person to be able to bring on. To settle things down yeah. if, if he's required, and um, you know, as a manager, you, you've got no no better person um, to, to play not just maybe as a holding role, but also as a centre half, or possibly as a three at the back if he changed it. Like so, you know, it gives it gives um, the manager a different dimension, a different formation to be able to play if he's if he needs to, and also bringing it on if if he needs to shut up shop as well. Oh, one, on thing, one thing I just wanted to say about, about on, Saturday's game that I'd forgotten. Listening to the commentary, which again, once we got up and going, was very, very good. I can only imagine that 
Tom Bailey was making similar noises to what he made when Scott McTominay scored a couple the other week. <laughs> Last minute winners. I think I think he enjoyed that as much. Mm. He's a big fan of Scott. Yes, I did hear that Cy broke the microphone, didn't he? Yeah. When, <laughs> apparently, yeah. when the goal went in right at the end. <laughs> it could only happen uh, oh, to Cy. Oh, last-minute winner. <laughs> but, um, Aid, I'll throw it to you, because obviously next on the billing for Yeovil is, is Weymouth. Um, it's a game that you know, it doesn't really need much build-up, does it? Yeah, exactly. It, I expect a good crowd, um, even though it's a, it's a Tuesday night, and particularly off the back of the run of results that Yeovil have got at the moment. And it could be a pretty bouncing atmosphere at Hewish Park tomorrow evening. I'm sure it will be. I mean, just, just one sort of point to chuck in that, to give it the significance that it should have. When we um, played Weymouth in the FA Cup, I don't know if you can recall doing the commentary. Or, did you do it? I think so. Well, we certainly covered it anyway, yep. Three Valleys. And we, I'm pretty sure... I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure we had about 1,200 listeners, which was the most we've ever had, which goes to show that, you know, Weymouth have got that special something that gets everybody going, that, that, you know. I think, I, think that, I think that was there because we had two games, and I think yeah. it was the replay where we had the 1,200 yeah, listeners because I think, Thorpe, it was you and Gav when it went to penalties, when you had that. Yes. Was, it, was it Tom Knowles' penalty that went viral when it hit the steward? Because I'd never yeah, heard Gav so, so excited on a Three Valleys comms. Some of the most penalties, some of the worst penalties I think I've ever seen, actually. That was actually one of them. Like, but, yeah, but it, I think it he's still recovering in show... A&E now, the old uh, copper. It just goes to but, show um... that, that Weymouth and Yeovil, is, it's a special concoction, isn't it? And the moment you put the two names together, the the magic builds up, the, the supporters get absolutely, you know, hyper about the whole thing, as they did then, and I'm hoping that we'll have big crowds there on... Uh, tomorrow night as well and obviously that uh, we keep winning yeah it's just a special occasion isn't it i'm uh, playing in it i've been fortunate enough to play in a few of them and uh they're they're, they're very special um games but also you know uh when when you you can't play anymore and you're just a supporter you know i can tell you now you know that the nerves are jangling just before the game and uh, it was same in those FA cup games of recent times and also the league games as well so it's a it's a very very special time it'll be a special night we should have a bumper crowd there and hopefully have a bumper crowd listening to us as well. And of course, after that, yeah. am I right in saying the next game after Weymouth is um, Gateshead? No, Braintree. Uh, oh, Braintree, Braintree oh, at Kingston, home, yeah. Clevedon away, then uh, the FA Cup game against Gateshead. All right, so and then after that, we're all key away. Busy time, busy time. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's only going to get busier when, you, when you're top of the table. Um, Steve, last point on Yeovil before we move on to the Premier League. But obviously you've spoken about the fact that Yeovil obviously a huge fish in, in this division. There's, I think everybody knows that. There's no denying that. But without trying to get too ahead, but you look at the teams that, you know, that just make up the whole of the division. I include Torquay in this. But there's no reason why Yeovil couldn't potentially start to pull away and get an unassailable lead here. Is that a fair comment? Um, well, as long as they keep winning games. That's, that's, that's it. You that's know, and, and, and as Michael Owen to... says, if you win, you'll get <laughs> yeah. the three points. Um, yeah, exactly. As you said, every time they score, it seems to go in, you said earlier, something like that, which was yeah. a classic as well, because even Rick's raised his eyebrows and looked at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I meant shoot. Oh, yeah, wow. exactly. Yeah, but never mind. We know what you well mean. Well done, Stephen. Um, thanks, thanks for bringing it back because now I can apologise for it. <laughs> no, that's all right. You don't need to apologise. I think people are still like enjoying it. Um, no, I mean, the, the reality is things can go wrong very quickly, the same as they can go well. Um, you know, you can have the best squad and the biggest budget and, and not win the league, or you can, you know, a side will come out of nowhere. I remember when we. When we were in the Ryman League, Thorpe and, and Bromley were, were bombing along, yeah. weren't they? And then yeah. all of a sudden, Wokingham, who at the time had Mickey Spencer and Guy Whittingham playing up front, Wokingham suddenly came like they beat us 1 0, and then they were suddenly steamrolling. And yeah. everybody's saying, Oh, yeah, we're going to walk this league because of the crowds, the budget, da da da. And then all of a sudden, it was a nail biter, you know? So the reality is, as long as they stay focused, they keep producing to the level, and, and consistency is the key. And they will be aided in that with the squad of players they've got. 
because like you just said, you've got something like Josh Thornton and normally you'd want a pair of players, wouldn't you, Paul? You'd want two centre-backs who know each other's game and complement yep. each other. You'd yes. want two strikers playing together or one off <laughs> the other one and, and they understand each other's movements. Yeah. And the thing with someone like Josh is he's such an intelligent footballer. You, you could play him with anybody and he'll understand within three or four minutes what's going on. So when you've got that sort of ability in the squad, you would expect them to keep grinding out results. There will be some hiccups along the way. And as you said, you look at the top four, it's Yeovil, Taunton, Bath, Torquay, and then then Maidstone, obviously, in there as well. But the top four are all Southwest clubs. And those games in themselves are going to put bigger demand on the Southwest Massive. teams yeah. than other parts of the country. You know, And you talk about Yeovil, Weymouth. I can remember before I came down here, the only two sides from the Southwest of England outside of professional football that you'd heard of were Yeovil Town and Weymouth. And that's why historically and, and you know into the modern day, it's such a big game. Um, people will enjoy Yeovil Taunton because of the proximity, but it's not a derby in the same context as Yeovil Weymouth. Um, but if Weymouth, if Yeovil can get another positive result tomorrow night, um, then obviously they're already in a really good place. And the more you win, the more it becomes a habit. Steve, do you reckon though, the more you win, the more it becomes a habit? But does it also become a fact that the teams below you are going to be even more psyched up to try and beat you because you are top of the league and you're maybe drawing away? Um, yeah, I mean, I've like two experiences. One when I was at Luton and we went 28 games unbeaten and you just went on the pitch thinking you couldn't lose. It didn't matter mm -hmm. who we played. You just went right. out. And even if we, like, we were rubbish at Walsall. And if you talk to Nathan Jones, he'll tell you we're absolutely rubbish at Walsall. Scored two goals in the last six minutes and got out of jail, drew to all. <laughs> and even in, in that sixth minute, you just knew that you'd, you'd get a chance and you'd probably score. And that's what happens when your confidence is really high. Um, conversely, when your confidence dips, it goes very, very quickly. And that's when the manager really earns his corn, when he, when he gets the players mentally back on track and gets them performing again. Um, of course, the other sides want to beat Yeovil. They all want to beat Yeovil. But, you know, Torquay are a big club. They spent a lot longer in the Football League than Yeovil have, for example. So they're a big club in this league as well. Um, Weymouth are a decent club. Bath City will fancy their chances. So it, it's going to be a challenge. It's not going to be a cakewalk. But I, I just think Yeovil are in a good place. They've got some momentum. Get three more points tomorrow night. That's always great to win a derby. Um, and that will just add further to the, to the feeling around the club. So don't forget then that you can listen to uh, myself and Paul Thorpe tomorrow evening, Tuesday evening, on Three Valleys Radio, radio for the big one that is Yeovil Weymouth. So let's talk Premier League then, because most of the games all happened on Saturday. So uh, Paul Thorpe, I'll start with you, seeing as the 12.30 uh, kickoff uh, was Liverpool-Everton. Um, I think it's probably best to break this down mm. into sequences <laughs> and see if you agree with me. So, uh, yeah. as Rick it probably nods or shakes his head. <laughs> so, in my opinion, the uh, the two yellows for Ashley Young, correct. The inability to send Kanate off was uh, a mistake. He should have gone. That should have been a red card. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any debate about it, really. Um, I thought... There was a penalty Liverpool should have had before the handball. I think there was a challenge on Diaz that, again, one of those where you go, oh, anywhere else on the pitch, that's a free kick. So I don't quite understand why that one wasn't sort of looked at a little bit closely. But I don't think there's any debate about the handball because when you look at what handballs are given for these days, I know the listeners can't see me, but it was out here. <laughs> um, so I didn't really have too many, um, I didn't see too much of an issue um, with that one. And then Liverpool obviously go on to take it 2-0 from there. Are you in agreement with how I've sequenced that together? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm a bit, still a little bit aggrieved that referees given out so many yellow cards. Every scene, it seems that every tackle now is a yellow card. And uh, I think that... Um, I used to enjoy it where the referee used to pull the captain across and say, look, this is his last chance. Because it wasn't, listen, it, it, anywhere in the park yet, their fouls, are they deemed bad enough to send somebody off when it's the referees and the players? Well, I know it's the players' duty as well, but also referees' players to keep the players on the park to make it more of a spectacle and, you know, to enjoyment for the fans. 
I don't think the second one was bad enough to be a sending off for Ashley Young. If, if that's a sending off, then absolutely Canati should have gone. Um, I'd, I'd have said, you know, if I was manager of Everton, that's, I'd have been that's the point, though, Thorpe, isn't it? Like, when, when you say something like, oh, uh, I think he should have gone or whatever, you, you change your mind based on the decisions that refs make now. So, yeah. you know, I'm just basing it on, like you say, how most things have been yellow cards for those kind of challenge. Well, in so that kind day, of challenge in makes our... me think, yeah, it probably should have been a red card. But in our day, that would just been a talk to. Look, off you go, get on with it, like you know. And uh, has, has it changed that much? I mean, come on, you know, this is this is entertainment value, and I think that you know they're, they're too really. I mean, it's it's a soft sending off, really. I think it is, and it, like again, it, like I said, if if, if he's got to go, Canati's got to go, he's got to go. You know, again, the penalty, the one that wasn't given. I still think I, I think that's a, a penalty because he doesn't get the ball, um, and. I don't like that penalty now because there's no intent in, to actually stop the ball, ball coming into there. But because his arm is out there in modern day football, that is a penalty. And um, you know, and uh, I agreed with actually Alan McCoy. Why are we sending the referee across there? You've got two experienced people. Let's see, look, his hands in an unnatural position. You know, on modern day football, that is a penalty, and, and just let him give the penalty. Seeing him going all the way across there, it does sort of look like. Devalues football for me a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said, really. But um, I, I, I certainly think that Everton performance was was really good, and I think that he can be really fuming at the uh, the, the the official uh, for the for that one. Didn't have a didn't have a good game, to be fair, and um, and I think that they deserved a little bit more out of it. But um, you know. <coughs> Mo Salah had a quiet game and scored two goals, so happy days. <laughs> Rick, from the opposite point of view, then, do you disagree with all of those comments? <laughs> um, when's the replay? Yeah, good point. The, referee, the referees, the, the officials have made a ricket, so therefore, <laughs> is, isn't that a replay? Absolutely, Rick. I totally agree with you. Let's get those replays coming back in. And then let's play 90 games a year. Yeah. <laughs> Till Jürgen's happy. Um, I would like to, to draw everybody's attention to uh, the correct prediction from the prediction show on Wednesday that Liverpool would indeed score a penalty. <laughs> and yeah, there's, I mean, unless you're Romero against Man United, that gets given as a penalty all day long, doesn't it? So uh, that was uh, stuck on as a penalty goes. But if you're, if you're Everton... Are you going to feel hard done by a... Dyche took it well, really, in his post-match presser, I thought. A little too well. I thought he'd be angrier than that. I think he just realised the futility of the whole situation. One one question I would would like to ask is, is it concerning that Liverpool had 26 efforts on goal or on target or whatever and could only score from a penalty and a breakaway at the end? And why do they always leave their best three informed strikers on the bench? doesn't matter which ones they are they're always the three on the bench are always in better form than the three that are, apart from Salah, the penalty king that are on the pitch because as soon as they come on the pitch they look wonderful but the two that start always always dreadful when they start it just it does seem a bit surprising but i am looking forward to the replay it wasn't a great liverpool performance was it lads it wasn't you know it wasn't really like flowing and some of their play was brilliant, but it wasn't a, what I call a dominant, really, really, really dominant uh, performance. Well, when Craig Pawson is your best player, then uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> well, let, 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 let's let's speak to the other lads. Um, Steve Alfred, did you did you see did you see this one? Yeah, I did, mate. Yeah. Much to add to what's already been said? No, n- not really. No, I just I just think Thorpe is right. I mean, the referees just bandy around yellow cards for the slightest bit of contact nowadays, and it they back themselves into a corner um, and make it very difficult for themselves at times. And then when they like you say, for me that is a penalty. I mean, I hate the handball rule as it is, but I think his arm is unnatural. I think he extends yeah. it deliberately to block the ball. He's further away from the ball than in a lot of cases, so I don't think they can have any argument about that. But like you say. If um, Ashley Young is sent off, then the, the Liverpool lad's got to go. There's, there's no way around it. You cannot have any excuse. 
the player goes around the back of him, he just sticks his leg out and trips him over. So it's deliberate. He's already he's already been booked. He's got to go. And he was having a terrible game because he was playing so badly that, that Jurgen took him off straight after that incident. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah. because of the way he was playing, nothing to do with anything else. Before. Yeah, but but you know, but those decisions ultimately really influence the nature of the game because if yeah. suddenly ten against ten, it's it's, it's yeah. a completely different mindset. And yeah. actually, Everton are probably more frustrated about the fact that he was subbed immediately after the incident than the fact that he wasn't sent off because it just rubs salt into the wound. Yeah. You know, because then they get to carry on, don't run the risk of him getting sent off, and play the rest of the game with the eleven players. Yeah, hundred percent. So, from uh, a from a Everton um, performance point of view, AD, is this a case of then they just they've had the decision that went against them, they've lost the game, they just have to move on and hope that they get three points next time around in the next game, move well, on quickly. Yeah, of course they've got to move on quickly. I I've got to be honest, I didn't see very much of the game I, I I saw that the half the end half of the coverage of that game on match of the day and the two things that struck me were that it, it seemed as though both the Liverpool goals were were on on the breakaway you know um, as though perhaps Everton had had them under a lot of pressure the ball obviously fell loose they suddenly break away and score two goals from them which which is not like Liverpool I mean normally it would be Liverpool piling on the pressure all the time and then getting to two goals but it didn't kind of seem like that to me but um, but if if the send it off of Kanati was, was so blatant which it appears to be um, I don't really understand why there hasn't been more of a, a furore about it on a par with the the offside goal and, and you know and Spurs and all the rest of it I, I, I just you know surely they're both as serious mistakes as, as each other and as such surely you know there should have been a furore about it. It's just yet another clanger dropped by um, VAR, if you ask me. That's the thing, Aid, isn't it? That they're making mistakes, but the magnitude of the mistakes they're making seem to be getting bigger, not smaller. Yeah, quite. Mm -hmm. I mean, things that are clear and obvious, which is what VAR was introduced to deal with, they're not dealing with. No. No. You know, somebody should have said. Well, they to don't. Him, they they don't allow yellow card reviews, do they? That's the problem. So they would have said that they wouldn't have been able to have used it. But, but it's ridiculous, isn't it? What's what's the? It's a game-changing incident that that changes the whole dynamic of the match through from yeah. that point to the end. And they're saying, "Oh, we don't want to do anything about it." When everybody in the ground, every TV pundit, every you know, every neutral like us is saying, "Well, no, it's a sending off. He's got to send him off." Which is. It's thing that is in fact a clear and obvious error. So if it's if VAR is therefore a clear and obvious error, then they should well, that, be able to go back and they say, "Sorry, Gaffrey, you know, referee, you've, you've got it wrong." Yeah, it's 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 just ludicrous that something that's been brought in to improve the quality of the game every single week is the thing that we end up talking about, and the yeah. the, the performance yeah. of the officials is getting worse as a consequence of it being there as a safety net. Where they think, well, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'll just hand it over to somebody else, you know, if I can. Um, and I think it's making them worse, not better. And how come it's one, one, one case, didn't one case in point with that, though, just, just to move, move on to a slightly different uh, game, but awful officiating, was how was Sanchez's challenge on Jesus in the uh, Chelsea Arsenal game? Oh. How was that any different to Anana's? Unbelievable. And yet, the goalkeeper have heard about this ever since. And yet, Sanchez. Well, let, well, let's move on to that then, because I'm conscious of the fact that we've nearly done a whole pod and we've only covered one Premier League game, so yeah. we're going to have to sort of get all these in relatively quick fire. So, Chelsea two, Arsenal then two. Uh, Arsenal two then. Um, you mentioned that there, Rick. Um, talk through what you made of the game as a whole, because presumably you were delighted to see Mudrick's finish fly over the head of um, David Ryering goal. Isn't he a good crosser of a ball? He's amazing. <laughs> what a talent. Uh, yeah, I mean, Chelsea are improving. The, and Arsenal flattered to deceive and really should have. But then again, do Arsenal does it just show that they dig in and they believe what they're doing and they are genuine, genuine contenders. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, it was a good game, actually. Two of them knocking lumps out of each other like that. And Chelsea do seem to be turning things around, unfortunately, because I, I was enjoying their, their season so far, but they've gone and spoilt it now. I think it was a very, very, very good uh, advert for a premiership football yes. excitement. But I cannot agree with you more. The keeper comes out and absolutely pulverises Jesus 
absolute stonewall penalty. There you go. Didn't even uh, get and on, top, on, and on top of that as well, um, Steve, I'll throw this one to you. But if ever there was a game which showcased how, well, maybe showcase is the wrong word, but it put very much in the window that playing out from the back as a goalkeeper does not always work. And that seemed pretty evident in that game. Mm. Yeah. Hey, it goes wrong, doesn't it? There's times it goes wrong. If, if that's what you want them to do, you have to be big enough to accept they're going to get it wrong at times. Yeah, and it's and that's simple. And, and you hope that their judgment on how and when to do it is is good. You hope that they're technically competent, that they can deliver on demand. But mm. you just have to accept that they get it wrong. You know, even the best players get it wrong from time to time. And if they get it wrong, they tend to get punished. That's such an interesting comment, Steve. Is the keeper competent to play out from the back? Yeah. But that you know. Well, it makes no sense, does it? Because because Brighton stopped playing Sanchez because he couldn't play out from the back. So then Chelsea signed him to be their number one goalkeeper to play out from the back. I mean, who's, yeah. who's, who, who, yeah. who's signing that United, one off? Yeah, Man United <laughs> signed Anana because they want to play out from the back and then realise you can't actually stop it going in. All right, easy, Steve. <laughs> easy. So, so, I'm just, you know, you pay your money, you take your choice. That's the do, point, do isn't do it? You know who the, do you know who the big winner was in, in that? that Ramsgate. Talking Aaron of Ram Ramsdale. Talk, Ram Ramsdale. Ramsdale. Ramsdale, he's the one who's come out smelling the roses. Ramsdale, so yeah. Talking of Anana, I, I, I don't like to bring this up, but really, I mean, he pulled a bit of a stroke, didn't he? Because he went down with a so-called injury um, and was sort of, he didn't seem to be in particular pain from what I could see of it. And um, they were sort of farting around like they were, you know, around him. And in the meantime... Uh, Eric's got you know got the whole team over and had a bit of a team talk while while Anana was playing around, and from that point on, United suddenly stepped up a gear and started playing a little bit better than they were before. Which interesting ploy that, isn't it? Well, it was. Keeper goes just... down with the injury. It gets time to have a little chat with the lads. Yeah, I mean, Adrian, I I knew that medical degree of yours would come in handy one day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the no. interest the interesting thing is. The interesting thing is, if a goalkeeper goes down and receives treatment, he doesn't have to leave the field of play. No, no, no. no. He, commits, yeah. he carries on. Whereas any other player does it, he has to leave the field of play. So that's the way to do it, isn't it? Sit down, have your leg treated, and I'll tell the lads what I want. Yeah. Well, what did you what did you make of the game then, Aid? Because obviously you touched on it there, and Sheffield United won Manchester United too, and it was that man McTominay again that seems mm. to be coming up, coming up with the goals, and then a pretty decent effort from from Dallow to win it at the end yeah well, the end. I thought the first or well, good half an hour I would say I thought United were terrible Sheffield United were playing their hearts out and they had the majority of the possession they they had us pinned back in in their own half for long periods of time and it was only until this particular instant that, that suddenly United started to get a little bit better then and well, you know, they won the game. They weren't bad, but they weren't brilliant by any matter of means. Um, so, you know, I guess I'm, I'm pleased. I'm relieved. Maybe we're a bit lucky, but at the end of the day, we got the three points. And, you know, I'm hoping that that's the start now. It's two games on the trot, which is something we haven't achieved already this season. So um, hopefully they can keep it going now on Tuesday night. Rick, last point on this game. Uh, you said it was probably going to be scrappy and you'd take it and move on, and that turned out to be the case. Yeah, it was awful. Only two highlights, of course, being uh, the image of, of Tom Bailey's face when McTominay scored, because I know he loves a McTominay goal, and also uh, Diego Dallo paying tribute to Sir Bobby in the best way possible. Yeah. Belting it from outside the box in a Bobby Charlton style But other than that, yeah, move on. Least said, soonest ended. Well, let's go to the Gary O'Neill derby then, because, uh, Steve, we spoke about this on, on Wednesday and you said about the fact that Gary would, you know, to coin a phrase from Kevin Keegan, love it if they go up to uh, <laughs> yeah. to the vitality and win. And um, so it turned out to be the case with a, a, a very, very late goal in that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought he, he conducted himself really well afterwards, didn't he? Because he, he just spoke about the his gratitude for being given the chance to manage in the Premier League at Bournemouth. Um, so there were no sour grapes. I'm sure he's just delighted that they got three points away from home. He'll take the points and um, you know just move on to the next game. But Bournemouth have got real problems. You know everybody talks about they play lovely football and that, but I can remember John Gorman at Swindon. I don't know if you remember when he took over from Glenn Hoddle and 
they were losing 4-3 every Premier League game and he's saying we're playing great football you know yeah terrific but you keep losing um, and Bournemouth are in trouble um, well Bournemouth have got yeah. Birmingham next haven't they and after that well, that's a huge really game hard. isn't it yeah if he doesn't win that one he's in trouble yeah he's gone well, apparently, I saw an article in the paper today that was defending him really, and I don't know the fellow. He might, you know, he might be. A, he's done very well at wherever I can. He might be a lovely fellow, but it said on paper they've got the second hardest first ten games in the Premier League according mm. to the stats, behind Sheffield United, they've got the hardest first ten games, and they're playing some lovely football. And the goal they scored was a credit to his coaching. And I'm thinking, yeah, but what about the two they they shoved in? Yeah, and they got the so, second fewest points as well, haven't they? So, yeah. And it's, That's what matters. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, first from bottom of the table, they've got three points from nine games. Um, you know, and by the way, I think if you look at the bottom four, three of those four were going down. We stick Bournemouth in there now. At the start of the season, I said I thought it'd be the three that came up, but yeah. after nine games, I think the three of the bottom four were going down. Well, let's talk I about that then, because um, um, Burnley, obviously, we just said about playing playing Bournemouth next. Um, they went to a relatively out of sorts Brentford but Brentford made very very light work of this and Vincent Kompany in particular um, Aid will be extremely disappointed with how his team managed to fare in that one on Saturday Yeah I'm surprised how, how kind of how Brentford have sort of gone off the boil up until Saturday they, they've been you know I mean they gave United a good game but in the end it wasn't to be for them but, but, you know, generally, they've not, compared to last season anyway, they've certainly not pl- played anything like as well as they did. I suppose losing uh, Ivan Tony's not helped their, their cause because he, he, he is a good player and he scored goals regularly for them. But um, as for Burnley, well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. He, he tries a few things, doesn't he? But nothing seems to work. And they end up conceding a goal all the time. He's not learned, he's not learned his lesson. He wants to play this nice football, but like again, it's at the end of the day, it's about winning football games in the Premiership. And how, how long? He, how long before he becomes under pressure, Thorpe? Company. I don't think. I don't think we're far right. away, because ultimately Burnley want to stay. In, you know, they've had their success in the Premiership before, and they they want to stay there for sure. And you know, if, you they, think, if Paul, they stick. Sorry. Do you think? Because I know when when they went up with Daishi the first time, then they went down, and they just mm-hmm. stayed with Daishi. Yeah. And then he, then he took them back up again. So I think they might do the same with company. And his and his profile as a player will will buy him time. Maybe, but... maybe success is the wrong word. I think they've had the taste taste of the Premiership yeah, yeah. football, and I think that that will, will will you know shorten his lifespan there unless he starts getting results. You know, because ultimately, you know, as we said before, depends how they lose. Take over. But so, because if no, they, not, it's a way not, of not, losing, and if they're playing not, out from the no. back. And Not they keep me. making massive <laughs> mistakes and conceding fours no, and fives, yeah. then he'll have no yeah. chance, will he? No, no chance. Even no, he's no. got no chance playing the style of football. You've got to be freaking ruthless. Well, actually, I could have sworn there. You've got to be. You know, you've got to be ruthless. But he probably he hasn't bought the players into the club to play in a direct traditional style of football. He hasn't got players to do that. So if he tries to get the players he's got to do that, they'll actually be worse than they are trying to play. So he's just got to try and make them better, yeah. And if need be, get to the mid-season break and get some bodies in because if, if he needs, he needs some artillery, you know. Yeah. Ultimately, that's that's. And surely he'd be, lucky, he'd be lucky to get through to January at this rate, you know. And if he does get through to January, then they've got to pile a lot of money. And will they give him? Will they have the confidence giving him the money to get the right type of play to steal to steal in, in you know in the side? And they could do. They, not be funny. They could really do with a McTominay. In the middle there, you know, somebody who's, <laughs> they, it could do, because his work rate, his work rate there would be really enhance a, a, a Burnley team. You know, is he, and, um, is he Man U's top goal scorer? Let's not go off topic, because we've still, got, last we've, two still games. Got, <laughs> we've still got a few games to try and get in before AD says that we're in over, over, over time. <laughs> just just one point on Burnley though. I mean, the, the way that Luton are playing, um, you know, they make they they seem to be sort of picking it up and generally improving, which is going to okay. Put let's go on to Luton then. <laughs> yeah, good point at the weekend and two 0 down as well, Aid. Yeah, I mean they're going to put more pressure on on company. I would have thought because probably everybody thought, oh well, Luton they'll they'll they'll, they'll bomb it. They'll be soon out of the picture, but they're not. They're making a go of it, aren't they? 
Forest have got yep. a habit of chucking things, chucking points away, though, Rick, haven't they? I mean, that's a couple of times they've been a couple of goals up at home, and not 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 good for them at the weekend. Yeah, especially when you consider that their home record is is primarily what kept them up last season. That they can't afford to go chucking away. Chris Wood what as well out of nowhere with a couple. Ah, the wood chopper. What a fine, fine player. Good to see Andros Townsend's hair weave back in the Premier League. Yes. <laughs> We're surprised to see him there, but it's nice to see him there, I'll tell you. I like, I like what's a, what's a terrible ball in as well for the equaliser. <laughs> They'll take it. I don't know yeah. what, what everybody quickly thinks, but you know, with the point the points uh, that, that is maybe not going to be got at the bottom of the table, you know, Luton are getting close to, to what I think might keep them up. I don't know what the rest of you think, but it's definitely going to be lower than the uh, 36 points, I think, don't you? Somebody today was saying it could be 25 or something. Might yeah, be enough. I, and I, I think that Luton, uh, I think, could surprise everybody. Well, they're a fifth of the way there. Yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon, Steve? The old team stay up? Uh, uh, to be honest with you, they'll, they'll, they will do. They've got a squad of players and they'll play the way they play and that's it. They'll just do the yeah. same thing. If they go down, they're perfectly set up to benefit and come back up again. Yeah. The, club is, the club is brilliantly run. Um, I don't risk, think you can say that for a lot of the other clubs. Uh, the risk with the manager, uh, sorry. The risk of a, um, topping Hilda's earlier comment. They'll they'll finish where they finish, won't they? They're not going to compromise. <laughs> you know, they're just going to. No. If that's yeah. enough to keep them up, it will keep them up. Yeah, if sorry, they score more than the opposition, they'll win. That's the one. Yeah. Three <laughs> welcome, welcome to welcome to football cliches on football. <laughs> <laughs> Manchester City, 2-1 win over Brighton. It was dubbed that it was going to be a really big footballing contest between Guardiola and the potentially Guardiola's successor, if paper talk is to be believed. But Thorpe City, they ponked into a 2-0 lead quite quickly. And then from there on, obviously, Brighton got one back in the second half. But it was that early pressure that seemed to be enough for the for the Premier League champions. Yeah, they for me... Um... Uh, yeah, uh, typical Man City, really. He's got the two goals. Bearing in mind, we have to speed this up now because I think we're yeah, in extra time. I'd just like to say they, Brighton played tremendously well second half, and uh, you know, but they're quality in City, so I'm not surprised they won. Um, Steve, Newcastle 4, Palace nil. You, you said on Wednesday yeah, just how nice and compact yeah. Roy likes to play, and that is yeah. the beauty of doing a preview show and being on the Absolutely. Wednesday pod beforehand. Yeah. So no surprise that Newcastle won four 0 Absolutely romped it, <laughs> didn't they? Yeah. Well, there you go. I blame Roy. Um, <laughs> can, can I do that? Can I blame Roy? Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. I've done it. I'm going to blame Roy. Yeah. yeah. Get back to yeah. get back to the training field, Roy. <laughs> um, and then I think that only leaves us with one final game, which was the one game on Sunday yesterday. I think majority of the panel on Wednesday went for a 2-2 draw, ended up in a 4-1 win. Um, Rick Hyatt, the Claret and Blue derby. Um, It's a nice football one show from Villa. And suddenly, since AD's had this issue with his fantasy team with Ollie Watkins, he's now absolutely shot into the stratosphere and people talking to him about as being as good as Harry Kane. Do you have to keep mentioning it? (laughs) Well, you seem to have... Really kicked his career off since you've done yeah. that, mate. It's funny, isn't it? West Ham played... A... Brighton and Villa play a similar sort of game, and yet West West Ham played so well against Brighton and picked them off and won, and then played the complete opposite way against Aston Villa, who rocked home come the end. It was, it was easy peasy. It was a case of how many you were going to score. I mean, Villa at home, was that a six and a four or five and a four or something? Because they... When they beat Brighton themselves, I mean they're banging it in at home. So um, yeah, they're playing very, very well. You know, Emery's got a system; he's got the players to put into it, and they are just yeah, they're a very impressive team at home. And final point then, because um, Spurs obviously play this evening at the top time of, of the scoring. table, Tottenham again against Fulham. Just quickly round the table. I know it's not a Wednesday, um, uh, a Wednesday pod, but Rick, I'll start with you. Are you going for home win? Yeah. Thorpey? Um, yeah, can't see get more than a home win on that one, I'm afraid. Yeah. Steve? Yep. AD Full House? Yeah. Tottenham? There you go. So what 
better place to finish than everyone in agreement here. In the history Uh, of podcasts, as an entire podcast panel predicted Spurs would win. I would have to go through the archives. I have to go through the archives on that one, which you, listener, can do if you've got the time or the... Um, yeah, maybe if you've got too much time on your hands then you might want to do that, then by all means that's up to you, but tonight at least we're going to have to wrap Stop it up there waffling, so, um, Stop waffling. Steve, thank you Steve, thank you very much for coming on Yeah, pleasure mate, enjoyed it again Excellent, Thorpey thanks very much for getting your technical issues sorted and for joining us See you us. tomorrow Yes, we'll see you live on Three Valleys Radio Rick, thank you very much Always a pleasure. I'm going to bypass the... Uh, I'm not actually going to watch the Spurs game. I think I'm, g- I'm going to trawl through that archive and listen to the thoughts of Adrian Hopper for the last three years. What better way <laughs> to spend an evening? But thank you. And a very good evening from myself, Dave Pryor, and Adie Hopper, sign us off. Yeah, where are you off now then, Steve? Latvia. Lap, oh, that's right, yeah, Lapia. Yeah, well, have, yeah, have a good time. I still haven't found that name of that club yet, but I'll get back to you on that one. Uh, and in the meantime, thank you for Hold listening up. to um, Three Valleys Radio, and in particular, football, bloody hell. Good night. <laughs>